Pop 42, to trek or not to trek, with Lee and Mary Conrad, to boldly go. Welcome to our pop show, Yours, Mine, and Ours, Pop. I'm your host, Ken Mills. Today we are going to talk about TV in 2019, and in particular, Star Trek Discovery. This is an ultra-spoilery episode, so if you listen, be prepared to be spoiled on Star Trek, The Orville, and The Thornbirds, even though we do not discuss it, and more. Listen at your own peril. On with the show. TV has changed since its infancy, and in many ways it is almost unrecognizable from what it was when I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. TV has went from episodic, one-and-done episodes to long story arcs that can go on for a year or the entire series. Star Trek is back with a new iteration, Star Trek Discovery, and it is full of cool sci-fi, effects, lens flares and all of the trappings of a huge, big-budget movie every episode. And what looked cool in 1966 on TV might no longer hold up. I have calculators, home stereo devices, and cell phones that make everything on Star Trek, the original series, look like a middle school play production as far as technology. So between the updated tech and the new way of telling stories, this has caused some confusion for some fans. Some fans love it. Some fans hate it. But then there are things that never change, or should never change, good writing. And that is something that should be present in all TV. Sadly, it's not always the case here. Today, we are going to be joined by Mary and Lee Conrad, friends and fans of many of the same things that I am. Lee Conrad is known in podcast circles as the co-host of Kistry Science Theater and the Scrappy-Doo Principle. He's also known as an artist under the name Lee Conrad, the Draw Guy. Mary Conrad is a massage therapist and a lifelong Doctor Who fan. Her pop culture interests also include Star Trek, The Orville, Gem and the Holograms, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Welcome back to Pop, your schizophrenic pop culture podcast. And by that, I mean this is a show about whatever I want it to be. 
And today, joining me on the other side of the line is Lee Conrad, and you have someone else really cool with you. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Ken. Uh, I have my uh, better half with me, uh, Mary. Uh, She's here to uh, help pipe in whenever I make a mistake and uh, (laughs) correct me on on any pop culture bits I might have uh, misinterpreted. So, wow, you know, set the bar for me there. Well, sure. Mm. You're always better than me. It's That's true. like a lot of pressure on you, Mary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can live up to it. We'll see. Uh-huh. This isn't the first time she's podcast, so it's very good. It's all good. And today we are going to talk Star Trek Discovery. Are you ready to rumble? Please tell me you're going to play the Amok Time theme music at some point in this episode. I have to. I have you to. Have, you absolutely have to. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to have differing opinions on this, I feel. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm waiting for them to bring that back, by the way. Oh, that would be fabulous, wouldn't it? It's, it's got to happen. It's somehow, <laughs> some way. Yeah. Now, Lee, a lot of people, if they know you in our world, it's probably because of Kistory Science Theater. Yes, uh, there's Kistory Science Theater, which went on for five years. It's now five years plus strong. We actually just came out with the recent episode, finally talking about a live four. Uh, in the KISS world of things, so apparently that's going on very well. Uh, but I also do another show that's somewhat pop culture related, and that's the Scrappy-Doo Principle. Mm-hmm. Now tell people mm-hmm. all about the Scrappy-Doo Principle. Well, the Scrappy-Doo Principle, um, well, you know that thing you really loved as a kid and you thought was the absolute bee's knees, like the thing that you couldn't stop talking about and you thought was the absolute greatest thing when you were like eight or nine years old? Mm-hmm. And... Then you go back and revisit it as an adult, and it doesn't quite hold that same uh, wonderful feeling for you anymore because suddenly you notice something that is really, really bad. Uh, it's that's that's what the Scrappy Doo principle is. It's basically you know finding that thing you loved as a kid and then discovering that maybe it ain't so great now with you know today's current eyes on it. And in the process, destroying it forever in your mind. Oh, yeah. Mm. That, that, that can't happen. Now, not everything meets the principle. The reason it's called the Scrappy-Doo principle has to do with uh, how it came about. My co-host, Gilbert De Silva, uh, used to work at a video store back in his early 20s. And uh, when they started releasing the Scooby-Doo cartoon series out on home video, he started revisiting it. And he loved the character of Scrappy-Doo back when he was a kid. And then he started watching them as a young adult and realized that he really didn't like Scrappy. He thought Scrappy was incredibly annoying and it was just suddenly this huge letdown. These cartoons were not as cool as he thought they were. So that's what we do now is we analyze stuff from our childhood and from our past and see if it ages, ages well, essentially. So we, our latest episode that we just dropped, uh, we talked about uh, Clerks, which reached its 25th anniversary. It reaches its 25th anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, very so good. It's it's a way to really make us feel old. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's it, it's almost like it's its own personal Mandela effect for everybody, right? It is, yeah. Like, for example, I uh, Starsky and Hutch, a show that I love. There's a lot of great action shows that I love from back in the 70s and 60s. Now, the 60s stuff seems to hold up a lot better for some reason. 
Yeah, there there are certain niches you can grab out of that. Mm-hmm. Like there and and you can kind of forgive in in some ways. Like when you can actually absolutely just say, "Yep, that was the time frame. I can understand that either budget limitations or just the uh, you know, the, the the social commentary that was being made at the time or or just what was the norm for interaction on certain things." Mm-hmm. Star Trek's rampant with it. Right. Uh, especially, especially the you know the original series, but even in the seventies, when you look at some things, you kind of have to scratch your head, going, "Huh, I thought we'd moved past that," and you have to think about it a little bit differently. Yeah, but like for example, Starsky and Hutch, I remember I was so excited to see them on MeTV, and I recorded like a marathon of it. Right? Oh boy! <laughs> and I'm sitting there watching it, and there's a guy who's going to have one of his henchmen bug somebody. Mm-hmm. So he gets on the phone with the guy and says, I want you to put a bug on John's car. Okay. So then they show that guy picking out a bug, hopping in his car, driving over to John's car, sticking it up under the, the car there, then getting back in and rotary dialing, and they showed him. Okay, the bug is planted. If that were modern television, it would be like, Literally, you'd see bum, dum, dum, bum, bum, and a guy putting a bug under, and that would be it. Like, literally three seconds worth of time. Yeah, and the, and the bug is, like, the size of, you know, the tip of his finger, and he just lays it underneath the, the bumper and runs away, pulls out his cell phone, and he's got, like, a tracking app or something on it, and it's like, pew! But see, because go. of what we learned from Starsky and Hutch, we actually saw how it worked, right? Mm-hmm. Fall Guy or whatever show it was. We now, it's almost like it's a CSI type style where everything happens in a quick succession. Mm-hmm. So your your brain is now trained for this, right? Like, like just imagine your grandmother or grandfather watching modern television. They'd be like, what is going on here? <laughs> because everything was a lot slower. Oh, yeah. Well, sure. But I, at the age I am now, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we're approximately in the same age bracket here, Um I'm starting to find I'm I'm actually falling into that line of of things, especially when it comes to current TV. If there's anything that actually feels more closer to what I grew up watching, I'm more inclined to love it. Mm -hmm. But there are there's some storytelling methods now that just it either goes by far too quickly for me to even get a grasp of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then I just get frustrated and angry. And a prime example of your, you know, the, the idea of like, you know, the elderly watching current television or whatnot. My father loves the Orville mm-hmm. because it harkens back. It's he finds it very funny, but it harkens back to an older method of storytelling. You know, it, it doesn't rely on being super flashy. It's really character driven moments, but they take their time when they tell their story and they don't overcomplicate it with a lot of uh, superfluous details and it's episodic television. So you don't have to watch a, uh, an overarching, you know, storyline for 13 pieces. He can come in at any time. Mm hmm. You know, versus something like Star Trek Discovery, where he watches that and he's like, it's too flashy. He can't understand what's being said. He's 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 just like, you know, it, it's just too dark for the sake of being dark. And he just didn't it never gelled with him. So he stopped watching it. But he loves the Orville. Mm-hmm. Now, before we really get going, how do you guys TV, Mary? How do you guys TV? Are you still a uh, cableites? Are you still which sounds like a Bible tribe or something they were from the cableites yeah we still have cable we have netflix um that's 
I think the extent of our television, like strictly television mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, because essentially what we do is we we set up our PVR to record uh, maybe three or four uh, programs and pick a night to sit and catch up on it. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to most of the time, we're actually looking at Netflix because the whole season is dumped down for us and we can then pace ourselves how we want to watch it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's sort of where we sit uh, in terms of our TV viewing material. Yeah, I mean, I, I constantly get told uh, from people, oh, have you seen this show? Have you seen this show? And I'm like, back when I grew up, there were like, a half dozen channels you 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 didn't have much of a choice you had some and now i just i just i can't watch justified i can't watch game of thrones it's just too much to see Mm -hmm. too many not enough hours in the day to watch television to give you an idea what the last thing we actually shared and watched in almost complete a complete binge was russian doll on on netflix yeah that hooked us in almost immediately. And because it was, it was actually like a, a perfect length. Digestible 30 minute episodes. If you could marathon it in four hours, great. Cause it was only eight episodes. Or if you could only watch one, watch two, you didn't have this huge commitment of time because Netflix, I think original content is in 40, 44 minutes. It's no, close it's a, to a full hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last week I started Castle Rock. On Hulu. Oh, nice. But I'm two episodes in, and I'm I'm trying to get feelers from other people. Suckers, I'll call them. Or, or wise <laughs> people. If they've seen it, I'm like, is it is it worth eight more chapters of this? Is it worth it? Because yeah. there's nothing I hate worse than binging something, and that's it? That's yeah. anger. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's and it's really kind of hit or miss, right? Like, right. Daredevil was one that we you know, as a couple watched together, it's like I started watching it and then she kind of joined in afterwards and went, oh, this looks really neat. So we backtracked and got her up to speed and we got through uh, like the f- the first season. It's kind of like it gets about it, it's a bit of a slog to get through the first four or five episodes. But then once the second half hits, it's like, boom, 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 boom. Got to find out how the rest of it ends. Mm-hmm. Second season was like that as well for Daredevil. Um, but Luke Cage, I got halfway through and I haven't picked it up again. I've been told it's at least, well, at least wrap it up. You'll get to some of the good stuff. And I'm like, well, there hasn't been much of any other good stuff with the series yet. I love the, I love the, the casting of it. I love the feel of the show, but it hasn't been one that really has hooked me into like, my God, I got to see how it ends. Yeah. I had that same experience with Iron Fist as well. Oh, I I just heard Iron Fist was flat out bad. It was like so, watching oatmeal dry. It, oh, really? <laughs> when when you can oh. get in a fight and turn your hands into living steel and use kung fu and everything's slow, and it's it's almost like watching the Six Million Dollar Man, right? Because I love it's the like, Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> you you think you love the Six Million Dollar Man? This is going back to the premise of the Scrappy Doo premise, principle. right? Yep, we haven't put him in the lab yet. <laughs> We love the idea of the $6 million man, but then you watch it. And I remember, and as a kid, my mom would say, 
don't roughhouse and we'd like but we're gonna do six million dollar man style so we'd like fight catch pillow bashing upside your head a catch pillow but and now we're gonna go run in the backyard and as a fat kid i really appreciated that i could go and go just as fast as everybody else but that's the way Iron Fist was to me. It was like, so oh, for cool. all this action, it's really slow. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, the character of Danny Rand, uh, just in today's climate or whatnot, it's like it, there's a bit of a whitewashing thing happening there. It's like, you have an opportunity to update this premise and you still went with, you know, the blonde white guy when you could have very easily made it, you know, uh, I don't know, prop, proper ethnicity and still made it Iron Fist, right? Or they just could have tried for being interesting. There, there's that too. <laughs> there is that too. Like there was only one saving grace, I think, out of the show. And I think it was one, by one of the supporting characters from what I recall. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm trying to think of the, the uh, it's like the one Asian woman that's in the, the show. Me. Yeah. And, and like she apparently was the highlight of the whole series. Mm-hmm. Uh, for my understanding and you know say and like with with luke cage it's like you have uh, misty knight you know she was in she's yep. an interesting character as well so it's like sweet christmas sweet christmas <laughs> i do love how they address luke cage's original comic book look though in in the tv show mm-hmm. you know during his origin where he comes back you know after swimming from the the prison and and he, he the first bit of clothing he finds is that yellow satin shirt and he puts it on he and he's like you look like a damn fool (laughs) i'm like thank you for at least giving me the look so i'm satisfied that okay i've seen that on screen now let's move on let's update let's keep going yeah so i could appreciate that part of it but the the rest of the story was just kind of it was too slow and it's just it wasn't engaging enough right now, the reason that we decided to record is because we were discussing Star Trek Discovery online, yeah. and I said, why don't we do this with a mic? Yeah. Well, so today we're going to talk about television and what's going on with it, and we're going to start out with Star Trek Discovery. So mm. your thoughts, Lee Conrad, on Star Trek Discovery? Uh, I'm, I want to like this show. I... I've been a Star Trek fan for a very long time. My wife has been a Star Trek fan for a very long time. We're very much old school fans. Every iteration of Star Trek we've seen to some degree or another. Um, and there is a particular feel of Star Trek that you get from series to series. But at the very core of everything, you can at least say, I understand who these characters are. I understand where their motivations are coming from. I understand the world that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And when Discovery started, we had a lot of high hopes for this new run. They said it was going to be uh, before, you know, what, 10 years before Kirk and Spock? Is, mm-hmm. that, is, that, is that where it's set? And it was supposed to deal with a little bit with the, the, the Klingon War and, and whatnot. We were going to see some of the beginnings of that kind of stuff. So I was psyched for this. And then we saw what the Klingons looked like. And it was like, what, what, what is this? The, the, like, I can understand you wanting to have your own stamp on the aliens and wanting to update things. I mean, even from the original series to the first motion picture, suddenly the Klingons have got ridges on their, on their heads mm-hmm. and they've got this weird armor and everything else. But it was an opportunity to really see, you know, to now actually give Star Trek a budget, right? Mm-hmm. 
But then when they go so far as to incorporate the budget limitations into the storytelling, that to me is like, okay, you're caring about the canon, you're caring about the fans, you're caring about the lore. Whereas Discovery immediately kind of steps in and says, no, we're ignoring everything. You know, forget about what you know about Star Trek. We're running with an entirely different ball now. We've changed the rules now, and we've changed all the players, and you're this is nothing you, that resembles Star Trek as you knew. Mm-hmm. So, so right off, I'm I'm kind of eh, okay. Let's let's just see if they if they at least act the same. Maybe maybe, maybe it'll be fine. Uh, and then we're introduced to our Starfleet crew, and Michelle Yeoh, great. Uh, great casting there. Have no problem with that. Uh, the character of Michael Burnham. So immediately we're we're thrown into this. Once again, you don't know anything about Star Trek because suddenly she has a connection to Ambassador Sarek, who for long-term Star Trek fans know all of, know his background. And suddenly we're introduced to something we've never seen before, and we're just supposed to accept it at face value. So there's another hurdle to try to get over. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out. Michael Burnham is a character who will go to any lengths to do what she feels is the right thing, regardless of, uh, you know, rank, you know, chain of command, anything like that, all because, you know, her raising as a Vulcan suddenly is like, no, I'm going to do it this way. And it's my way or the highway. I don't care if the captain says, no, we're just going to do it. You want to say something? Michael Burnham knows best. Yes. That's the, that's the phrase that's floating around. Hmm. On the other hand, it it is kind of uh, in the wheelhouse of many other people that have been in Starfleet. Like, there's been many times that Spock simply refused to follow orders. True, but his inactions or refusal to do things did not start an interstellar war. Correct. Spock does not jeopardize other people's careers or their lives when he makes those decisions choices or actions mm-hmm. i mean that goes right back to uh, the menagerie where he attempts to get uh, captain pike back to talus four he doesn't want to get his current commanding officer in trouble for any of this he's doing it all on his own and he's trying to be secretive about it but he's doing it on his own without trying to jeopardize anybody else's career or lives on the line he was trying to save pike's life um whereas you know as, as honorable as Burnham's uh, thoughts were on trying to prevent a war, her actions just instigated one right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, okay, great. Why am I supposed to like this character now? Because she's now made herself an enemy of like both in Starfleet as well as the Klingons and everything else. I have... We, we, we just weren't given the right footings to like this she, character. She's a character that goes rogue. She introduces that right off the bat, and it harkens back to an episode. What was the name of the android slash half woman? Oh, Arium. Arium. She was told to blow her out of the airlock to save the good of the many outweighs the good of the one kind of idea. Even that's a Vulcan philosophy that she should have hearkened to. But she was like, no, I can save her. Again, she goes rogue. She thinks she knows best. Mm Mm-hmm. Burnham Knows Best. I think that's a show that ran in the 50s. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Except it was an old white dude. Ah. Burnham was an old white dude? No, no. If it was in the 50s. Oh, yeah. That, if it, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mikey Burnham. Yeah. 
and, and again, I'm, and this is you can pull this out if you want, but I mean, this this is how much of an old fuddy duddy I am. I hear the name Michael. Uh, unfortunately, my brain is conditioned to think of a certain gender for that. It's a male. It's it's male. I've never heard of a woman ever referred to as Michael. So that's another hurdle for my old brain to get over. Michael Steele from the Bangles. Yep. Michael Learned, the mother from the Waltons. You know, Mrs. Walton. So, but I've gotten used to it now. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It's a new, it's a new, you know, we're moving into a new era of things and a new way of thinking. So this is something that as myself, I need to grow. Yeah. I, I honestly found it a little off putting at first. Maybe the intentions was originally to make it a male character, but, um, that's the least of the problems I have with the show. <laughs> now I've asked you to pick some music that you like. <laughs> I asked all of our guests what they're into musically, and I know that you're a huge Kiss fan, so we're not going to probably play we're any not Kiss, Kiss tonight. No, 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 we're, no. Not, we're not doing Kiss on this show. Not and on the show. fact that you guys are Canadians, I'm going to pick a Canadian song for later in the episode because I don't want this podcast to be downloaded in Canada and have the CBC slap something on me because we didn't put Canadian content in it. So <laughs> I'm asking you to pick a song for us from a band to something that you love, and we'll get back to our discussion. Discussion. What's the first song you have for us today? Well, the first song that comes to mind right now because it's sitting at the forefront of my brain, and I actually heard it on one of our radio stations during one of the Now Wow takeovers, uh, mm-hmm. where people get to call in and dictate what song they get to hear for the lunch hour or whatever else. And it's a song by Lisa Lougheed, and it was the, one of the theme songs for a uh, cartoon series, The Raccoons, and the song is called Run With Us. I have never heard this. If it sucks, blame Lee. Take it away. <laughs> Lisa Loheed with Run With Us. Yes. Darkness 
just as a side note on that, Ken, mm-hmm. the song is covered by this uh, uh, tribute band uh, here in no. Canada called the Cybernetic Spree. They dress mm-hmm. up like uh, G1 Transformer characters and play like old 80s cartoon songs. If you Even if you just want to see something really pop culture-y, watching Hot Rod and RC and Soundwave and Aquintason and uh, Unicron playing rock music <laughs> to at a Transformers convention and playing the song. It's awesome. <laughs> so check that out, gang. Check All that right. out. Cybernetic Spree. But we, we watched the whole first season hoping that it would grow on us. Now, and of course, the Orville's on at the same time, so we're having this great comparison of seeing two, one that's supposed to be official Star Trek and the other one which is sort of Star Trek uh, tribute. And we found the Orville, or at least I found the Orville more endearing. Mary, you felt that, uh, you you enjoyed the first run of Discovery initially. Yes, okay, so (laughs) looking at when we did season one Orville, season one Discovery, I did not like Orville. I don't didn't particularly care for Seth MacFarlane's type of humor. Um, but there were things about it that felt more Star Trek like it was the ensemble, the lead slash focal point of your, of of a crew like that is always your captain. So making Michael Burnham, who is either your commander or other character, secondary officer, secondary officer, your 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 lead is an interesting choice, but it doesn't work. Um, it's an ensemble piece that's like Ariam died. I had no idea who she was. I the emotional impact wasn't there. When you look at something like the Orville, there's a lot of enough, maybe not a lot, but enough time given to secondary characters that you feel they're important. And it's not just the Seth MacFarlane show in space. It very much feels like, yeah, this is, it's more Star Trek than Star Trek Discovery. My, my, my phrase going around when anyone talks about Discovery, I just kind of look up and say, hashtag not my Star Trek. It's, it's not. At its core, it is in complete antithesis of Gene Roddenberry's idea. Okay. I guess I guess I have the floor now. <laughs> yes. go for it. We well, I mean this this is a matter of like differing I mean this is something that when you look on the the YouTube channels and people who review these shows up the yin yang and whatever else there's a very divisive line between people who really love the show and people who really hate the show but yet at the same time we're all watching the show which is the point, right? Right. So I mean in the end they're still getting our eyeballs on their product. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, I can't really squawk on that, but it's, it's this thing of like, well, if I stop watching the show, if I keep squawking about it, saying how much either I don't like the show or how much I love the show or whatever, whatever my opinion is, I need to back it up with at least saying, well, I've seen that and this is why I don't like it. Mm-hmm. So I can at least come to, come to the table when somebody says, well, I liked it for these reasons. So now Ken, what, what does Star Trek Discovery do to appeal to you well there's a lot but before i say this we are blessed to have both the orville and discovery it's fantastic that i never thought i'd see a show like either of these again you know what i mean and i Mm -hmm. i've learned to love uh battlestar galactica when it came back i'm currently watching that and oh that's that series is amazing yeah it is but there was a time i wouldn't have given it a chance but Mm. 
I just know that when, by the time Enterprise with the Scott Bakula captain. Yep, Captain Archer. Yep. It just fell kind of flat to me. Yeah. And I want to like it. I want to love it. But it's just like kind of bland, right? It's kind of like going to a Mexican restaurant and there's no spice. (laughs) That's what it feels like to me. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we're in 2017, 18, 19 we're in this time period of television, right? This decade of television. And it's been informed by Lost. It's been informed by Breaking Bad. It's informed by Game of Thrones. Yes, everything. Walking Dead, all of its contemporaries. So, and then you take a look at the Orville, who's also been influenced by all these things, but it's hearkening back to the next generation. Yep. And that was a show that, when you talk about it, the original idea of that show was not to have it so much Captain Picard's ship, but based on the uh, wheeling adventures of Will Riker. But that never hmm. quite happened that way, right? No, he be, it, it was a matter of, as the show progressed, people wanted to know more about how the captain would deal with going on away missions. And, yeah. and But that was, a, that was a point of, like, the show was... Suddenly, Next Generation was set up in a way that it it went to Gene Broddenberry saying, okay, we're going to give you a show in syndication. We're going to let you make the show you want to make because mm-hmm. we want to bring Star Trek back in a way that is satisfying for the fans and whatnot, not have it tied to any one network, right? Mm-hmm. So it gets its biggest widespread audience right off the bat rather than being locked in at CBS. Right. Right? So first season, kind of rough. You know, I remember as a kid watching that and even going back and revisiting it, this, you know, the, the it's a little uh, overdramatic. Uh, but at the same time, it's like the reason it's like that is because you still got people from TOS working on the show, like mm-hmm. uh, Bob Justman, you know, who was one of the producers on, on uh, the original series. And just the sensibilities of what people felt Star Trek was supposed to be. And it was just, you know, it's a little overly dramatic. Second season, though, it's like, okay, we found our footing and we're we're going to tell you some more. The whole vibe changes a little bit. Riker gets his beard. So suddenly it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're relaxed a little bit. But, and, but they reshuffle things around to try to see if, well, maybe this will work a little bit differently. We put Jordy, the guy who originally, the blind man who was actually taking us to places, mm-hmm. being at the con, but now he's the engineer. It's like, okay, that's cool. Okay, we're seeing some growth with these characters. They swap out the doctors. I'm a big fan of Dr. Pulaski. I thought she was much better than than uh, uh, Crusher. Hashtag Team Crusher all day, all night. <laughs> Maybe it's just I like Pulaski because she felt like a, f- a female version of uh, uh, Dr. McCoy in that she was a bit more, you know, crotchety and, and uh, gruff and, and to the point. I just mm-hmm. want to say, Ken, mm-hmm. no matter our opinions – We love you. (laughs) If this podcast is incredibly polarizing and we can't find common ground, I just want you to know, I still think you're a cool dude. Well, thank you, and I appreciate that. But there's nothing that's going to divide us. No. Because, A, they're both winning. We're watching both shows, right? (laughs) Yeah. Even if you're only watching it to complain about it, that's like someone else's trip or mine or yours or whoever's, but... And I do think that we've reached a point where we do rage watch uh, nowadays. Like, I, it's it's <laughs> rage weird. Rage watch. That's a that's an interesting term. Rage watch. Okay. Well, because yeah. there are people. That's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are people that'll dislike a, a product so much and use it just so they can complain about it. But it's I don't understand that. 
but that's that's everybody has their own speed and their own lane, right? Yeah. And now it's time to take another break, and I'm going to ask you guys to give us another song that we can play right now, and we'll get back into the discussion on the other side. What song do you have for us today? Do you have a song, Mary? I could pick something that I was playing at the gym yeah. earlier today. Throw it, throw it out. Um, what do you got? I was listening to David Bowie's Outside, mm. and I was I was uh, kind of grooving to many of the tracks on there. And I was listening to, well, Hello, Space Boy. Now, what is it that you love about this song? I like it. Uh, well, more kind of the whole album. That was more my, in- aside from Labyrinth, that was my introduction to David Bowie, The Heart's mm. Filthy Lesson, Hello, Space Boy, that kind of electronica version of Bowie was my my Bowie, and that's the album I kind of gravitate to, to. Hello, Space Boy was one of his singles, so that just makes it easier to play. This is probably a song that Arium might listen to. Mm. Uh, quite possibly. <laughs> All right. David Bowie with... Hello, Space Boy. Hello, Space Boy. All right. If I fall,
Big fan of David Bowie here. We love David Bowie here on Pop. I think he was beloved by by everybody everywhere. Yes, and be sure to check out Diamond Pods, a David Bowie podcast. Which we listen to here at, at Pop. We are big fans of you guys and uh, everything that you've done. Awesome. I was talking earlier about we're lucky to have both of these shows. Now, yeah. I will tell you, when Discovery first came on and... When the Orville first came on, I was unease with both of those properties. Okay. Because I sat down with what I wanted the show to be instead of what the show was, right? Like, mm-hmm. remember the first time you started watching the Orville and there's one too many dick jokes? Like, hey, did you see that dog yeah. licking his junk? You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was just shoehorned in. Well, I mean, it's, the show started with a guy ejaculating from his head, right? You, 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 you're on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, like right away, you're given the tone of the show. <laughs> it's <Yeah. laughs> the fact that he even gets away with it on network television is mind-boggling. It's Fox. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. yeah it's so if you if you know Seth MacFarlane's method of humor, if you've watched Family Guy or seen his feature films, you know Ted and Ted Two and uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Right, that's mm-hmm. the western he did. Um, he's that, that's where he goes. It's like when he hosted the Oscars and he did a whole bit about Charlize Theron's boobs. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, we get your, you like your potty humor, but at the same time, he also does these incredibly, um, I don't want to say thought provoking, but it's like he can, Seth MacFarlane knows when to be crass and when not to be crass. Like if it's a, you know, a filler spot in the story somewhere and they just want to throw in a joke for the sake of throwing in a joke, fine. But if when they're in the midst of an action or something like that, where it's a life or death situation or, or whatnot. Or it's the end of the episode and there's a pivotal moment between two characters, two characters. Mm. He doesn't, he doesn't go for the joke. He goes for the drama. Yes. He goes for the the story beat, you know? And and I love that. There are times that there is such heart and intelligence to be found in the Orville. Yes. You know, you may not, I don't know why you come to the Orville, whether it's because you like space shows or whatever, but you get more than you're bargaining for with that show. And the same could be said about Discovery, right? Mm -hmm. We both, all three of us, went in with expectations of these things, right? As I've gotten older, I am starting to realize that I've got to either start liking or disliking things for what they are or what they are not. 
And by that, I mean that there's a lot of times that there will be people that will say, well, I'm against the new Shazam movie because when I grew up, Captain Marvel was this. And then you ask that person, you find out which Captain Marvel they're talking about. Was it the Captain Marvel that had a talking tiger (laughs) and fought a worm that could control people's minds? And when he'd get mad, he'd go jump on the moon just to have a few moments of so he could get away from all the noise and think. Yeah, these are things. That's a thing. That is a thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then it's weird that those people say that that's the real Captain Marvel. And then there are people who will say, no, no, no. The real Captain Marvel was on TV in the 70s. And there was a TV, there was a teenage kid that rode around in Winnebago and they talked to the gods. With an old man. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, yeah, but where was the wizard? So it's really weird when you see like a Facebook page that says, we're the original Captain Marvel here. And there's some people, to them, they go to that page thinking they're only going to talk about the big red cheese from 1940 or 1950 yep. or 1930, right? Or as in the 1980s, to me, he was Captain Whitebread. There uh, you go. From- from the from the Justice League comics, like uh, when they they revamped him after uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, yeah. it was still Billy Batson. But when he became Captain Marvel, he still had the mind of Billy Batson. He's still a little kid. He didn't turn into an adult. Right. He physically looked like one, but he still thought and acted like a kid. The great Keith Geffen and Adam Hughes and all those cats. That was fantastic. J.M. Demetrius, yeah, yes, like yes. those guys. That was that was that was my Justice League. Mm-hmm. Everything Absolutely. else hails a comparison. <laughs> but there's been so many different versions of this thing called Captain Marvel, called Shazam, that we could do an entire episode on. But there are mm-hmm. people who are going to rage watch the new Shazam movie so that they can complain about it. There are people that will watch the new Captain Marvel movie and mm-hmm. rage watch it so that they can talk about things, whether it's, oh, there's social justice warriors, and oh, there's too many minorities, or not enough minorities, or there's, you know, whatever weird thing, whatever you bring to the thing. So I'm at the point now where I'm like 55, and I'm like, I almost died last year. So if I'm going to enjoy something, I either want to enjoy it for what it is, and if I'm not enjoying it, I'm boot scooting boogie, right? And I'm yeah. not a country music guy. So anyway. So, so, so you're telling me you, you had a bit of a uh, Kevin Smith epiphany? Possibly, yeah. I've you lost know? lost a lot of weight and I feel a lot better. So that, life that's is good. good. That's very, uh, very good. But boy, he's he's really lost the weight. God bless I know, that eh? Guy. Yeah, just, it, exactly. I love his philosophy. You know, he like his the last couple of movies he's made, like I haven't seen Tusk. I haven't seen Yoga Hosers. But mm-hmm. they are podcast gags run amok you know Mm -hmm. him and ralph garman came up with those concepts on air and then decided let's just make a movie and see what happens because he's got the bank he can do those kinds of things if he wanted to make a if he wanted to self-finance a flick he he goes and does that that's Mm -hmm. fine you know i don't necessarily have to like it but his philosophy very much is like well i'm gonna do it because i i feel like doing it and i think it's gonna be fun He's doing that Jane Silent Bob reboot right now, and it's like he's getting to revisit. He's kind of closing the book on the uh, View Askew universe, the View Askew universe, you know, the, the whole thing with all those characters from mm-hmm. Clerks and, and Chasing Amy and Mallrats and all that stuff. He's using this one movie to kind of check in with all of them, and it's it's all he, – he's finding – it's like a big reunion for him, and he's just having a ball with it. Mm-hmm. And he, you can follow his journey with that on, on YouTube. And it's just, I love seeing how this guy has gone from just, you know, he's self-deprecating to a degree, but at the same time, he's having a lot of fun. Right. 
and and I'm, and I'm glad he has that outlook on life, you know, and, and it, part of it stems from the fact that, yeah, he, he endured a heart attack and nearly died. And suddenly it was like, damn, I got to do something to change. I need to do right. something to, to take care of myself. So absolutely. I hope he keeps doing this. I hope this is like the, you know, the pinnacle of all the films he's ever made because I'm really psyched for it. But I, on the other hand, am going to have zero expectations for it so that whatever is played it, I can accept it for what it is or what it isn't, right? Mm -hmm. So getting back to like Discovery, I know that I was hoping, take me to Star Trek. And I sat there and it's like, okay, Klingons. And they all sound like they've got a mouthful of peanut butter. (laughs) Was that actual dialogue or was the actor choking to death? Uh, we, it could be a little of both, yeah. uh, considering the mouth appliances they had on and everything. I mean, it was pretty, uh, pretty yeah. elaborate. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's their native tongue. Great. You know, if Klingons are going to be amongst Klingons, they shouldn't be speaking English. Let them speak Klingon. Great. I'm on board with that. And I could even understand that if there's different Klingon homeworlds, which we know is a thing, that some of them would look like this and some might look like that. You know, mm-hmm. this is outer space. And then... I try to make sense of it all and just keep remembering that I said, and I'm trying to make sense of it all, right? Yeah. (laughs) And big spoiler alert for everything we're discussing today, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen any of these things and you want to keep it all secret, this is your chance now. Go listen to a fun size episode. So anyway, so uh, I, I want to like this i'm i want to dig it oh good the the uniforms aren't what i wanted them to be i wanted to see the gold the red and the blue i'm not seeing it i'm not seeing it and this is 10 years before and i'm thinking well the only thing i ever saw before that was pre-star trek was the menagerie and the cage and i didn't really care for that so uh, maybe i'm in the right neighborhood i don't know well, I, I, I have an advantage in the sense that I just finished rewatching all of Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So we think back to those outfits, the mm-hmm. right stuff, so to speak, the right stuff kind of design, the the uh, the blue jumpsuit, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so what you get in Discovery, I think you could argue, is actually kind of an evolution from that uniform mm-hmm. because it's one solid color. But But you see what you just did there. What did I do? Did I just prove your point? <laughs> yes, you did. And as a Star Trek nerd, and I say that with love, I may not be the biggest Star Trek fan in the world, but I'm a big Star Trek nerd, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you just bridged that for me. You just went, oh, well, hold on, buddy. Let me help you out here. There. Now we can walk over that bridge together. See what you did? There, yeah. But there's one difference there with the Discovery outfits. And mm-hmm. this is harkening this is back to the thing you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. where's the red where's the gold where's the the blue right well we find out in the second season they're over on the enterprise right they're all over on the enterprise yeah but it, and i guess that's you know from from archer's run or whatever else because all the trim on their mm-hmm. uniforms indicated what division you were in so that's like oh okay we're gonna see where that goes later when they actually decide to wear a full tunic that's in color mm-hmm. you know but we don't get that right away with Discovery. So, all right, fine. Uniforms are what they are. So the first season is problematic in the sense that they should have said, Discovery's going to start 
on season two. The first thing is a movie, and then you're going to get the prequel to the prequel. That's the way mm. that Discovery season one should be sold. Mm. Because when the first movie happened, and it is a movie, make no mistake, the first episode is like a 90-minute movie, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're like, holy crap, we just saw a war start. So now we have to deal with this and the repercussions of it. Then we immediately get thrown this curveball upside the head. These people aren't acting like Starfleet at all. What the fuck is going on, Mirror Mirror? Yeah. Right? Well, <laughs> it's not a good introduction to your lead character. And I'll, I'll guess I'll compare that with something like Encounter at Farpoint. Because mm-hmm. you literally introduce characters uh as they're all kind of coming aboard the enterprise and it's getting it's you know getting ready to go out but i mean michael burnham makes a decision we don't really fully understand and it does the exact opposite of what she intended and Mm -hmm. she like again she defies orders she doesn't follow the chain of command burnham knows best and it messes everything up she's not likable a hundred percent. I don't know who, why anyone would follow her as a likable lead. Because she'll more than likely correct you and tell you you're wrong than well, to agree with rogue, you. She'll go rogue, right? Like you're not. She's not predictable. She's she doesn't play well with others. So how she? I think I think even her commanding status, like commander status or second officer status, was more honorary with Giorgio. Uh, like it just didn't seem like it was earned, and. Oh, don't even get me started on someone like Tilly. Oh, I love <laughs> like, Tilly. She's oh. she's endearing to a point, but at the same time, you need growth. It's like watching a show about, like a season show about Barkley. Barkley had growth from Hollow Pursuits. Like some of that awkwardness does carry over. Does carry over, but mm-hmm. he he does adapt and learn. He he's a he's a character that like doesn't isn't static and isn't awkward all the time and everyone around him yes figures out how to deal with him best so that he can be the best that he can be tilly's just awkward and cute yay moving on like i she 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 seemed to have some growth with the the killy tilly thing from from season one i thought she might have like come into her own confidence with some having to play but she comes across as awkward and unsure. Like, I don't understand how she's a candidate for the command program. Mm. I, I mean, Saru should not have backed her on that one because Gordon Malloy did not get fully supported. And yet he, to me, especially now after some of the latest episodes, has way more ability to make decisions f- than Tilly does. Mm-hmm. Again, a show about character growth and ensemble team. Versus, oh, this robot chick died. We feel really bad about it. Who is she? It's like this background character that we hadn't given any thought to except that design-wise, she looks really awesome on screen. And then now we're going to dedicate an entire episode to her immediately, but it's all about how she's betraying the ship. It kind of comes back to season one when Burnham comes back on, when comes to Discovery, uh, Lorca brings her on board. And a, a lot of her old crew members are there and they're pissed at her. And I mean, but she doesn't interact with any of them except Saru. Yeah, she doesn't interact Mm -hmm. with anybody. So I don't understand the chick with the implant eyeball. Who is she? What's her deal? I know nothing about her. This is an area that I agree with you 100% on this show. By the end of season one, there's that big speech where they say, We are now 
more than ever Starfleet, and we've got to do things the right way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can understand, like I said, season one of Discovery should be the prequel to season two. And I know that someone out there is saying, well, of course, it's season one goes to season two. But it almost should have been billed that this is where we're going to figure out how the Federation decided to rise above all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because at certain times throughout our history, you know, even taking a look at the the world we're in right now, you know, like you... Folks in Canada, God bless you, have figured out health care for everyone, whereas down here in the States, we're troglodytes and haven't figured that out yet, right? So at some point, as as we evolve and get to Starfleet, like whenever I talk about politics, I always say vote Starfleet. That's that's like how I vote, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if, if it makes sense within the realm of Starfleet, then I'm for it. Hey, it seems like... College should be good. We should educate people. That seems Starfleet. That, that seems like a reasonable yeah. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. I know how you talked about that that speech at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. It tried to be, remember, we're Star Trek. We stand for something. Mm-hmm. That's, yes, and that's what Starfleet does. That It misses the point in the sense of, how do I say this? I'm not really good with my words. Star Trek was originally a sci-fi show with morals, messages, and meanings that about everyday us, the, the, the sci-fi space stuff was incidental. The, the stories were meant to just talk about relevant issues, especially of the moment. Are, are, are they relevant today? A lot of them can be and still are. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no moral message and meaning to each of the episodes that I can find that I identify with. It doesn't... I would take an episode of Picard telling me about the Prime Directive over Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham knows best, making a speech about this is what Starfleet stands for. Yes, Starfleet should already know this. You shouldn't have to remind them, especially you who went rogue and started a (laughs) bloody war. They know this. (laughs) And uh, don't get me started on Section 31. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a. That's, That's a, another conversation. Sorry. It's just the whole speech. It doesn't, it's, it's like, we're trying to be relevant. Yay. Us. Well, having, having heard what you said there. Sure. I felt that that was important to come after everyone basically being mirror mirrored up. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at, okay, we started this war. I didn't want to, I shouldn't have done that. And now we've got all of our leaders are bad people. What's going on? Why are we doing what we're doing? Then they find out the whole mirror, mirror thing. That all gets taken care of. They bring Georgiou from the other side over and it's like, eh, why did you do that? Da, da, right? Da. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're, she, she's squirming in her chair right now, just like seething with, my God. Yep. <laughs> but as far as Section 31, we've kind of seen this throughout track at some point right that doesn't get introduced until ds9 and it comes and it comes out of and and they treat it as a clandestine thing of like nobody else in starfleet knows about this right and i think that by the time we get to the end of discovery nobody's going to know about it either you think so i know so you know so (laughs) i know so i think that by the time we get to the end of discovery everything will be linked up Mm. my wife 
says one thing that sucks about this because she's digging the current season. She didn't care much for the season before that. And in a sense, I didn't either. But then again, Star Trek's always needed like one or two seasons to like start firing on all cylinders, right? Like you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, Star Trek Next Generation. You can almost like when you're going through episodes, like say they come up on why they come up on BBC. I don't know. Only because (laughs) Picard's there. You turn on BBC or you flip through the channels and there it is and you go, this one Riker doesn't have a beard. Getting the fuck right out of here, Warp yeah. 9. <laughs> this <laughs> one sucks. <laughs> it's like the one, it's like you tune in and the first thing you see are a bunch of people uh, scantily clad in white you know, pieces of fabric saying, welcome, come run with us, we run everywhere. <laughs> and then Wesley trips over a fence and suddenly he has to die. Yes, he does. That's a terrible episode. Um <laughs> But it's got one of Will's best, li- Will Wheaton's best lines. We're Starfleet. We don't lie. Mm-hmm. And then it's from the right episode, right? Am I correct? I think so. I think yes. so. And is it sad <laughs> that based on every single description you give me, like two seconds, I can tell you the exact episode title? Yeah. <laughs> That's us. I Sorry. Next Gen was my Star Trek. I grew up with that. I had an amazing crush on Will Wheaton until mm-hmm. he broke my heart a few years ago at a comic convention. But that that's another story. That's yes. another story. Uh, but no, that was that was my Star Trek. And I, I think, like you said, uh, William Riker was meant to be more of that, that focal point. Well, because he was the guy allowed I, to go on away missions. Picard but, was supposed to stay on the ship, period. That was it. Yeah, it did, doesn't work. And I think that's why season one fails yeah. a little bit. When they put the picture of the crew, you would see Riker like in a boss like pose. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, okay, we can have the older guy who's the intellectual, and then there's Riker, who is the modern Kirk, right? So they had it with the best of both worlds. Yeah, but it doesn't work. ding You got it. Oh, my God. (laughs) You guys. Yep, that'd be us. That's how we roll. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Slowly. Let's just beam season one out of here. Yeah. Now we're going to go to season two. Oh, I like Lorca. Well, hold on. Be, keep remembering that you said that. You you liked Lorca. Why? I, because Jason mm. Isaacs is awesome. That he is. is. He is. Yeah. But I think yeah. we're going to see him again. Oh, God. No. Because <laughs> we never actually did find out what happened to the prime version of him versus Correct. the mirror universe yeah. version. The yeah. last we knew, he was being tortured in the mirror, mirror side of things. Right. And if he escapes from there, then, yeah, that's entirely possible. Yeah. He could come back. Yeah. And just imagine if he like said, "That is not Giorgio." I'm telling everybody, that's not <laughs> Giorgio. I I I think Section Thirty One knows it's not Giorgio, and they don't care. Yeah, yeah. but but Starfleet <laughs> is kind of like, "Don't ask, don't tell," right? Yeah. So there you go. But just I'm kind of wondering because I am totally in love with Anson Mount, and I am totally in love with Ethan Peck as Spock. I'm hoping. That, like, the last episode that he's in in Discovery, he, like, gets all crispy, fried in a microwave accident or something. I don't want that to happen with Pike. I wish that they would, like, go, hey, we got a Spock and we got a Pike. Why don't we do early Enterprise? You know what I mean? That would be That's what it should have been in the first place. I agree. (laughs) And maybe, maybe, who knows? I mean, because it's got to be, like, Q ratings through the roof. Like, whenever they, like, test people when they do like 
a screening and they said, okay, what'd you like about this? I like Pike. I like Saru and I love Spock. Right. So you got to realize that that's the feedback coming back. And it's sad because I see a lot of haters and I'm not talking about you guys, not calling you guys haters, but there are people who remember we talked earlier about like Shazam and I love my incarnation. There are people who want TOS and they want the same vibe that, it had and i don't mean the good vibe i'm talking about the bad vibe like where women were less you know mini skirts which are fine i love mini skirts nothing wrong with mini skirts if yeah. a woman wants to wear them god bless her yeah that doesn't fly now though like that it just doesn't like, we've actually seen a mini skirt on discovery have we yeah it was a mini skirt with pants underneath it okay burnham wore it on the talus episode mm. Oh, I think that that's how they're going to get around it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, things are getting a little heated here. We're going to continue on with the discussion. We're going to play another pick from you. What do you want? Okay. Well, a lot of people know who know me know that I love Weird Al Yankovic, and I'm a huge fan of his music, uh, you know, and his style of comedy and everything else. So the song that I want to throw out there because it doesn't get nearly enough play, is UHF. Mm. Fun movie. Check it out. Yeah.
So we've been dogging on Discovery. Like it's immediately like, I don't like it or it's right. not my Star Trek. But you know what? I'm going to, I want to say some positive things about the show that I actually really do like, if okay. that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please. Uh, I, I love the show. Go on. Yeah. Especially since the J.J. Abrams reboot, technology looks way crisp and clean. Lens flares aside, uh, mm-hmm. everything looks crisp and clean. And and that doesn't look like, you know, the color buttons of the 1960s mm-hmm. show. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? we That was a production problem. Like that was limitation. a limitation at the time. And now we don't have that. And I'm okay with that. I actually appreciate the fact that you can have some of the continuity of it, uh, like versus the hologram projector thing. I'm, uh, but I mean, I'm cool with the the funky screens where they're touch screening stuff in and, the air. Oh yeah, that's great. Like I love that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, even like the new uniforms from Star Trek, not the not the military right stuff stuff, but the the Pike and his number one. Mm-hmm. When you got to see them. The, the Enterprise really, outfits. Yes. Yeah. Those are great. Mm-hmm. Anson Mount, I heart Anson Mount. He's mm-hmm. fantastic. He's incredibly likable mm-hmm. as a captain. Um, I would have loved to have followed him more as a focal point. That would have been great. Um, Spock, he's he's okay. He has glimpses of, of Spock that we all know and love from Nimoy to Zachary Quinto. Like, I see it. And there are moments where it feels like he's making it his own. And I can kind of forgive that because each actor should make that character his own. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. Those are my two favorite people this season. But it harkens back to, like, majority of the points you made harkens back to original track. It does. So, yeah. <laughs> it, I, uh, I mean, they wanted to do this prequel 10 years before it happened and I just I I feel like the writers don't know Star Trek some of the writing feels very amateurish it feels melodramatic it feels like somebody didn't read the script last week and is is writing stuff that like what were they time crystals like Mm -hmm. it just yeah but we've we've now that's how this whole conversation started was me ranting about time crystals on Facebook I just, um, and then being schooled on that, saying, no, that's an actual thing. And yes, there's a scientific principle behind it that I don't understand. Lee, you have <laughs> to understand my quote-unquote schooling of it. I went and hopped online, and I was checking to see, was there any ever time anything with time crystals in all of Star Trek? Because like, if something happened in Deep Space Nine or Voyager, I could say, ah, we'll see. But yeah. I didn't know. And then... Nope. So I'm like I'm like looking through all the links, right, that are available. Like <laughs> Time Stone in Deep Space Nine. I know that's not it, and I'm like sweeping things away. And then I like look at the actual main things that you get from Google, and it's like Time Stones found. Time Stones are a yeah. real thing. And I'm like, what? Someone on my friends list commented on that thread and said, Yeah, it's a real thing. I'm like, um, please explain. And he he uh, posted this link from Wikipedia and then I went and I looked and like there are science journal articles about this phenomena, this, mm-hmm. this concept, this thing, you know, and they've just dubbed it a time crystal. Right. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So they are doing what Star Trek does, which is look at contemporary science and even theories and whatnot and incorporating them into the storytelling. Okay. 
I guess I was ignorant. And that's also the same thing with the mycelial network and all that, the spore drive. That's also something that we're dealing with now that people are thinking is a possibility, right? Right. But the terminology, like just what you just said, sounds like Star Trek. Of course it does. Just from the way you say it, it sounds like Star Trek. Time Crystal sounds so just... Like I, I mean, sounds it, more Doctor Who. It, yes, more Doctor. I know, Who. but I know you guys love Doctor Who, so why is it okay over there but not here, right? Because Doctor Who has. Wait, set, wait. If oh, you just need to do some time travel, you just need to do a warp nine slingshot around the sun. Because that's the, science. The, the, those are. Okay. That's original series. No, I think what it boils down to, though, right. is that each franchise has its set of rules, yeah. and when you compartmentalize what rules work in what world will determine how you know the what you'll what you will accept and what you won't accept but that's not what i want i want my star trek to all work i understand that I but know. This, that, that's to your this is to my point dear time crystal doesn't work in star trek time crystal works in doctor who because doctor who is so out there and has given us so many outrageous things right that it's it's got a longevity longer than Star Trek, right? Right. Are you a Doctor Who fan, Ken? I'm not. Uh, I My Doctor Who was Mr. Baker because on PBS you'd get Monty Python, mm. you know, stuff like that. Oh, uh, Black Adder. Well, there's that one, but then there was the one... Oh, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Yes. <laughs> so, so we would get to watch hello, hello, and occasionally see the fallen Madonna with the big boobies, you know, and things like that. But, uh, <laughs> good morning. <laughs> yes. So not only would PBS show like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers and the occasional cool movie, but they would show Hard Day's Night and Help. And they would also show Doctor Monty Who. Python, <laughs> um, and hello, hello and Doctor Who. Yeah. So I would watch it just because, and of course, one of the greatest things, which again, that talking about that Mandela scrappy do effect, right? <laughs> uh, the original Douglas Adams hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy, right? That oh, was also yeah. on PBS. So yeah. I loved it. And so that was my doctor who the problem is, is because they were starting to do like the drives. You never could like set your time. And like Star Trek is on WSEE channel 35 out of Erie from five to six. And then at six o'clock, Doctor Who's supposed to come on. (laughs) But then I'd watch 17 minutes of phone calls and pledge things. And then Doctor Who would start. But then by at this point, Kung Fu is on this channel now. You have just (laughs) fucked me out of watching Doctor Who. And I could never understand what was going on from one minute to the next. Because sometimes they were PBS. They just kind of made up the shit as they went along, right? And it's like, we're going to show two tonight. And it's like, oh, I didn't know. No one told me. They did two last night? This is unfair. Well, technically... I think I think most of the the pledge drives. Well. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the pledge drives though that they would do. It's like especially with like the Tom Baker material. I mean, you, Mary, your family recorded every Doctor Who story we in the eighties. Recorded on VHS every story from an earthly child to all the way to survival in the Seventh Doctor. We recorded it in order. We suffered through some of those pledge drives, believe me. Um, but they like it was almost predictable to a point that it would be on every Saturday night. That was the, the thing we did, mm-hmm. and we did it like for t- 
talk about years of try like accumulating that entire library because they would yeah. PBS would eventually just air an entire story either like like four parts six parts however long it was in yep. like one night and one go so you wouldn't even have to wait for you know after it it was done its 30 minute chunk next week what's the next part because that was typically how it was aired in the UK but when syndication <laughs> you get it over in North America now you got you, you could sit and record an entire story of Doctor Who. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, I told you I was going to pick a song because uh, this is there's going to be people that are listening to this in Canada that's maybe never listened to one of our episodes before because you're, you're here, Lee, right? So mm-hmm. because of the great Canadian content law, I have to pick a Canadian song. And sure. And I'm going to go with what would be your Captain America up there. You're Captain Canuck, and yes, I know there's a Captain Canuck, but I'm going yeah. to say that that's it would be typified by Brian Adams. I could see him fighting crimes <laughs> and setting things right in Canada. But uh, one of my favorite songs by him is "When You're Gone" with Mel C from oh, wow. Spice Girls. So kind of a deep cut. I could have went with "Run with You," right? I could have went with "Summer '69." Even featuring song titles, Ken. Come but, on. Boy, what did I say? You said run with you. It's run to you. Oh, okay. You're mixing it up with run with us. Yeah. Far be it for me to tell a Canadian how a Brian Adams song is <laughs> pronounced. Honestly, I, I appreciate the, we both appreciate the fact that you went for a deep cut because even those massive hits get way too much airplay here up right. on the radio stations. <laughs> but I'll tell you, this song really shows Mel C can sing. And uh, it's a, it's a fun, good song, and it's it's a couple singing back and forth, and I imagine that this is Mary and Lee singing this song to one another. Oh, lovely! Uh, <laughs> this is torture. This is pain. Sometimes I feel I'm gonna go insane. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks, dude. That's awesome. <laughs>
And that was Brian Adams and Mel C taking care of the Canadian content of our program here today. The second piece of Canadian content. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are Canadian content, right? Well, then it'll be the third piece of Canadian content. Fourth, because... if you marries her own person, you sexist, misogynist okay. individual. Four. You know? There you go. There oh. you go. Earlier, I mentioned that there are people who really love TOS so much that they're against anything else, and they're maybe against it for the wrong reasons. Like, for example, there are people who go on star trek discovery things and saying this is not my star trek a a phrase you used but the reasoning for it is because they're against social justice warriors they're against minorities they're against women being in in charge or in command and things like that and it makes it really difficult to be a critic of this show because it seems like people instantly will say oh well you're that thing right yeah they'll 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 shut you down for being something that you that's not your intent you know, you're not against, you know, the, the idea of, of uh, social progression in any way. Mm-hmm. Right. To me, anybody that loves Star Trek should be for social progression. Definitely. Yeah. So so the, I guess it kind of comes down to, like, I, I watch the show. I don't rage watch, I think, but maybe I do. There I are some WTF by Ken moments. Mills. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm not anti-Burnham because she's a woman or because she's a person of color mm-hmm. or I, I don't like the writing. I don't like dialogue. I don't like choices they've made with the characters. If Michael Burnham was a blonde haired, white, blue eyed guy, mansplaining everything, I'd still be... like, I'd still dislike them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the point. It's like, it's who the person is, you know, how they're presented to us, you know, for their their uh, their values. Actually, no, that's coming out wrong. Um, no, no, values. I think is very val- valid because I mean, it's it's kind of like I kind of think of it in, in the sense of political parties. I'm not going to talk about specific ones because we have different mm-hmm. ones here in Canada. But the reason yeah. why I follow the parties, I the party I do, they I don't necessarily agree with their, all their platforms, or, or or entirely. I agree with some of them. Sorry, but it comes down to philosophy. Mm-hmm. It, you, they're the ones that match me. Um, it comes down to these characters. Their philosophy doesn't entirely match my own. Or, or whatever the, that the philosophy that yeah. they spout, and then they completely do the opposite thing of what you right. just saw them say. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Which kind of sums up the first part or that middle part of season one of Discovery. Yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's talk about season two a little bit because we got to wrap this up at some point. And I'd love to just go on with this for hours. But <laughs> first off, one of the things I agree totally with you on is that we're not seeing enough of the background characters. Yes. Uh, I want to know about – and we don't even know all of their names. At least I don't. Like I actually printed up pictures and like a scorecard. Okay, who's at, who's at helm? And I don't have it with me right now. But, like, I was intrigued by Arium, right? Like, I wanted to know more about her or how much of it is just a her. I thought that that episode, I cried about her death the way that I did about Spock dying in Wrath of Khan. Really? Yes, I did. Really? I am not lying to you. When I realized what was happening throughout the weeks, when she realized that she was not in control and that there were lapses of time in her memory, 
I thought it was artfully done. I thought it was amazing how they showed her trying to be a detective and put together, how come I don't have anything? My memories are gone between 519 and 523. What did I do? And she would see her logs, you know, where she'd done something. And if you watch this episode, that's why she's looking through the thing and she's backing up what she can of her brain because she's starting to feel, am I losing it? She doesn't yet know that she's under control, literally under control. So she's trying to figure out what's happening and she's trying to save pieces of herself. And I'm like, my God, do you realize that if I had to like save like the time I was on history science theater and we put coins in the swear jar and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and I'd have to save that little piece of, of that time and my best friends and memories. And then that memory of her and her husband who is dead and that, that story was told in such an economic way that some people say it's too fast. But I found that that really worked well within itself. And it's weird because we talk about the difference between TV then and TV now as opposed to episodic. And then you've got the long march is what I'm going to call it. Because like on The Walking Dead, we never really find out who the bad guy is until it's revealed. And then we do not have a big fight until the end of the season. The new Star Trek is now in that mold in which there is a big boss that needs to be defeated each year. We saw some of this evolve in Star Trek The Next Generation, where they had season-long story arcs. But they're doing things where we have certain episodes that they do have a beginning, a middle, and an end in that episode. Like, for example, the one where they went across the galaxy and there was that church that had been beamed out. Right, yeah. So so you have that episodic kind of story that is happening. Then you've got things like Culber dealing with his thing and various other things. And Saru, like we're actually seeing the evolution of Saru. And yes. I'm not sure that's going to be good at some point. But but to counter your point there with that, um, the in, in regards to Saru, when we're introduced to Saru in season one and they give us sort of the idea of what his race is like in Star Trek, you know, notoriously known for monocultures. Mm -hmm. And they introduced this new one where it's like, yeah, we have this threat ganglia. We live in constant fear because on, on my world, we're cattle. We're bred to be something. Like, like I think the original made it sound like, you know... Bred uh, to be prey. Bred to be, yeah, yeah prey or whatever. They're going to get eaten or something, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, he's an anomaly from his species. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's interesting. How do you live with constant fear? And they don't fully explore it. And then second season, uh, he, we, he evolves and like we're given an episode where I thought, honest to God, he was going to die mm -hmm. when it was like, mm -hmm. oh, the, the, the whole thing with the giant sphere that was mm -hmm. uh, kicking, kickstarting his whole I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. And when the moment came and it was like, oh, he didn't die. What happened? And I was glad he was still around. But suddenly it's like you took something away that was like we didn't even get to fully explore and now you're you're shoving something else at me to, to 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 accept. I think we're going to have that explored though. And the way I say that is because basically what we're dealing with right now is Pon Far. Yeah. In the first season of Star Trek, there, we didn't understand what Mister Spock was. I, I mean, it took me like forty years to really get a grasp on what Mister Spock is like. It wasn't that he was always trying to hide his humanity. For the longest time, I thought that that was the thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
and but then I realized he's he's literally having problems being what he is because yeah. it's an anomaly. I think we're going to see how he is uh, Saru, okay, this is my thought. And I could be wrong. This could be Ken's head cannon. All right. <laughs> I see Saru as being this incredibly complex character who has been living with razor blade diarrhea in his soul all his life. Like that horrible feeling yep. about everything. Afraid, afraid constantly. And now he is getting to the point where he's actually talking back to Pike. I don't know if you've picked up on that or not. Yeah, no, he's honestly, like, he's he's not afraid to back down. Yeah, and it's a, just a matter of time before he turns those things that ganglia, that used to be ganglia, are going to be spikes. He's going yeah. to be arguing with someone on the bridge, and they're not going to like, and he's going he's, to... He's going to attack someone that way, and it'll be like, oh, you need to take a break now. Or at least <laughs> pop claws like Wolverine, right? Right, he's... He, but then that sort of would end up justifying why that other race was subjugating his race. That's I, a story yet to come. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I want to see that story. <laughs> right. Here's the thing. I wonder if in 20 years from now, when this is quote unquote in syndication, not that it'll ever be like it was when we were growing up. Yeah, yeah. But we were talking here at the house about well, I got to know Chekhov and I got to know Sulu, and I said. You got to know them after repeated watchings over decades. Yeah. Because really, the only thing you knew about Chekhov was Wessels and Russians and Shakespeare and that he was cute like Davy Jones. That was like (laughs) the whole He was literally brought in with that haircut just so they could capitalize on the monkeys. So what we learned about Chekhov in the show was really very little. We know about as much about Arium as we did... Chekhov at mm. this stage of the game. But I would argue mm. that Chekhov yeah. had more lines yep. before, you know, and, and so that we could get to know him as a mm. character, whereas Arium stood in the background saying affirmative or yes, Captain, or something to that effect. I, I don't think she even had a name till season two. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing, too. Um, Did you hear about the fact that it was two actresses that played her? No. This is going to blow your mind. You ready? All right. Tell me. The first woman that played Arium in season one became allergic to the makeup. Oh. They had to bring in a second person to play her. The person that is now filling in in Arium's spot, remember after Arium died and they had someone come in to assume her station? Yeah. That's the first woman that played Arium. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wow. So she's, she's got her job back in a way, right? Oh, my God. You talked about a couple episodes there where you, you had the feels, mm-hmm. especially about Arium, and you talked about the uh, the fact that she had the mind control and out of the set, she was out of control and she was trying to preserve herself. And I was trying, and in my head, I think I immediately went to a TNG episode that did it better. Which one was that? Um, it's that did the whole kind of concept of, of being taken over and compromised and there was a good mystery and it was uh in mind's eye with Jordy when he was taken on vacation. <gasps> oh, the mean and, the Manchurian candidate episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, shut up. And well, that's what uh, it was. whatever. <laughs> and it 
Boy, you can tell you two are married. (laughs) Ow. (laughs) Anyway. Like I said. (laughs) It was a far more, like, it was, I think it was paced way better. Um, And again, we know Jordy, we been following him for like three seasons mm-hmm. so we fe- we have the feels and the fact that he couldn't remember afterwards and just the kind of the character growth there i think well again i want to say far outweighs that episode but i mean you had the feels you cried i mean it touched you so i will i will say I that mean, jonathan it did his job jonathan frakes directed that episode yeah. so does that really mean anything to me uh it should. he's a yeah. damn good director he is. But. Yeah. And I love that Jonathan Frakes is working on both the Oroville and Discovery. Discovery, yeah. yeah. Well, Pretty well. cool. Yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen with Discovery. I am on the edge of my seat. I'm kind of glad that CBS All Access is not dropping them all in one day because I love living each week with this mm. you know what i'm saying i i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it every thursday night at 7 30 i'm like take me away star trek right like i'm <laughs> I, I bought his star trek discovery t-shirt the whole works i'm in i'm i spock's back i'm making my hair spockish i'm trying to be as vulcan as possible trek, it's, exciting yeah. and, and new. new yeah do you listen to any Star Trek podcasts or watch any vlogs or anything like that to kind of get your Star Trek on? Or Yes. One of the podcasts is called The Vulcan Hello, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from The Incomparable with Scott McNulty and Jason Snell. They do an Instacast. So right after the show's over, they start recording and probably within an hour it's up. And another one I check out is over at Trek FM. All the shows they do about Star Trek are just fantastic. Check them out as well. But one big winner in this whole thing is the lovely Anson Mount himself and another fellow do a show called The Well. Okay, I'm not familiar. And it's really well done, and he interviews Ethan Peck and Doug Jones on four special episodes. But the show is just really well. So if you're looking for a good podcast, check out The Well. Okay. With Anson Mount, Captain Pike himself. We're the fellow from Hell on Wheels. So it's amazing to think that Captain Pike was on Hell on Wheels. <laughs> Cleaned up a bit, though. So Just, just uh, a wee bit, yeah. Yeah, but I I love. Here's the problem that I see going forward for Discovery. They've, to me, I feel done a a second kick-ass season. Again, mileage will vary. I understand where you guys are coming from, but I look at Star Trek as it's always needed like a year to get going, right? So I feel we're now in a groove. The problem is, is the groove that we're in. We have Mister Spock. We have captain pike we have a number one and -hmm. we've got all this other stuff what happens at the end of this season when those characters go back to the enterprise or meet a grisly fate or what have you because then what happens do they bring back prime Lorca, who shows up and says oh by the way here i am (laughs) does saru become the captain i honestly would love if saru became the captain Mm -hmm. because he's the one character that brings me back to the show uh, you I make agree. an interesting point, though, about his uh, his anti-threat ganglia or whatever they are. I mean, I, I'm it, going to dub them the threat spikes. Threat, threat spikes. Threat spikes. Yeah. yeah, the they the they pose an interesting 
what if or what's going to happen with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he loses his temper, like you said. If- and just imagine if Captain Lorca does come back and Saru's like, wait a fucking second. I get passed over again? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, if I was Saru and I, you'd be threat spiked right now, buddy. I'm giving you a judgmental eye. He, you know he'd go I mean? straight to section 31. That's, that's yeah. how that works. Right? I've had it. <laughs> but uh, I believe that everybody has a section 31. Canada, I believe, has a section 31. I believe uh, the U.S. definitely has a section 31. It's the things that do the things that we don't want to talk about, right? Sure. So I believe that that's always probably been there. And I think that that's one of the things about Star Trek. Like, for example, we were talking this week about how money really is just a social construct that we've all created. And we do it daily, right? Yeah. I mean, this here, this is paper right here. That's paper. This is worth $30,000. Just because you say so. Yeah. If I walked up and said, here's a dollar and that's worth, uh, that's a million of them. Give me whatever a million will get. We're just agreeing. Theoretical value. Yeah. It's all theoretical. It's all bullshit. It literally. And so when we say, well, like, well, how come we can't, you know, fund this or take care of that or feed these people because there's not enough paper. That's fucking bullshit, right? <laughs> oh, as, can you speak to a philosophy very much about how I feel economics actually doesn't work at all? But that's not what this show's about. Right. No, that's another the, episode. No, well, yeah. let's twist it back to pop culture. So Douglas yeah. Adams wrote a piece about how the movements of small green pieces of paper dictated, you know, how things worked. But, you know, the small green pieces of paper didn't like being moved around as much as they did because it would always cause so much suffering and, and whatever else, you know, yeah. he's talking about money, but right. he's yeah. doing it in a very sort of different way in the sense that, Oh, well, you know, why are we so concerned about the movements of small green pieces of paper? And now it's all, <laughs> um, it's all computer. Right. right? Exactly. Well, it's all credit, yeah. So yeah. now instead of like, I have this green paper now i have a card and we swipe and a chip will happen and all these other things and the point is is it's all imaginary it's all in what we give it it's it only has the power we give it right and and that's another reason not to get so upset about a television show that you like or dislike folks or a movie that you don't like uh like for example i hate the third movie in nolan's trilogy for batman I despise that film. You despise it, eh? Yeah. I know I, I know I walked away not liking it nearly as much as the, the, the Dark Knight, but it was like, okay. But yeah, there there are some problems with that movie. I can see it, but outright hate it? I'm shocked, Ken. Shocked, I tell you. But <laughs> I purchased it after I went inside the theater and didn't like it. I purchased it because I could not stand to have the shelf with the missing tooth yep. where that film should be. You're a completist. Aren't we all on something? We're all completists on something. But my, I guess the point is, is whether you like the direction of Star Trek Discovery or like the direction of the Orville or you like the direction of Shazam or Captain Marvel or whatever. I mean, that's a whole episode in itself, you know, but whether you like Star Trek Discovery or love it or hate it, uh, let us know how you feel in the comments below here and tell somebody about the show. And I know that I I have the, the most resilient and wonderful audience in the world because 
you guys put up with whatever fancy I decide to to go with. And today we're talking about Star Trek Discovery, whether you like it or love it. And I appreciate you. You you follow me through our game show, the Fun Size Show. You follow me through WKIP when I want to just play music. We talk about anybody and interview anyone we want. You are the greatest people in the world. And thank you for making a lot of really cool things happen for me. And Lee, I know that you feel the same way about your audience, whether it's the people that listen to Kiss 3 Science Theater or the people that listen to the Scrappy-Doo show. And we absolutely appreciate everybody who listens and gives us feedback. It's just, it's that interaction and just knowing that, uh, you know, we can bring a smile to somebody's face uh, just by having a fun discussion about things that we love and hopefully you love too. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It's, it, if, if, you were, if you were to grade Star Trek Discovery, season one and season two, what would your grade be? Lee, we'll go with you first. Okay, well, season one, I would give it a C plus. Okay. Uh, if only because, I mean, the it was massive effort put in to try to give a bunch of fan service, but in a way that I thought was kind of like, eh, this still doesn't quite feel like Star Trek. You're trying too hard. And uh, it was just didn't sit well with me, but I can appreciate the effort and the production value. You can't fault. It looks beautiful mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You uh, you are getting a Hollywood blockbuster type Exactly. Every episode. Exactly. So I I can't fault it for that, but it doesn't quite reach me as an audience member. Mm -hmm. Season two, I'm willing to give it a B minus because it, it essentially did what at the end of season one, it was like, Oh, okay. So we did what we kind of wanted to do, but we all know what you really want to see. Here's the enterprise, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's, let's see some more familiarity. And that's what we're getting in season two. So I'm going to bump my grade up for that. Um, but they'd have to do something massively spectacular somehow, either either in terms of respecting the canon a little bit more or whatnot to really bring it up to an A for me. So C plus, B minus. Mm-hmm. Mary. Wow, you're way... Our, our, our opinions are going to be complete opposite. Wonderful. Uh, I love marriage. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, um, season one, I, I enjoyed a little bit more than season two. So I actually went with a B minus on that one. There were still, uh, more, maybe more, maybe, maybe, maybe just a B, not just a B minus, but more like a solid B. Cause I, I, I thought I was seeing some character growth and I was intrigued with where it was going until you brought over mirror Giorgio and, had the remember what Star Trek is speech, folks. Oh, and Saru's not your captain, even though he technically was acting captain. It actually did some good things about mid-season for me, and then it just started to peter out by the end. Um, like I th- I'd say in the last few episodes, it, it tried to be something really great. It just missed it. And season two, it's re- to me that's the one that's relying on the hey, there's the Enterprise. Remember that. You remember that? Oh, and there's Spock. You remember him? You do you? Do you remember him? Oh, and Pike, remember from that obscure pilot that got aired once on CBS, like back in the eighties? Remember him? Oh no, you don't. Menagerie, remember him? It it just I think that's what it's relying on, and it's too melodramatic. The writing just is inconsistent from week to week. It's it's like C minus D plus. It's kind of ranging right in there. It's Whoa. It, 
It really <laughs> dropped for me. Because I, I watch it now and I just roll my eyes. I love Stamets. He's one of the reasons I keep watching. Mm-hmm. Um, Tilly, I can give her a pass. I really want to see where Saru goes, if he goes anywhere. But as we know from how it's previously gone, they don't give attention to background characters. I'm, I'm, they really have to step up their game to, to win me over. You wow. Speechless, dear. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. just to review real quick, you give season one, Lee, a C minus. No, C plus. A, a C plus. Yeah. And Mary, you give season one a. It was a B. It was a B. It was a solid B. I would and say was then B. you guys flip on the flop, and Lee, you give season two a B I, minus. I, I gave it a B minus, yes. And Mary D's it, right? Yeah, like I just, I, I need to see some real strong stuff come from it. I, I mean, it's a weak C minus if you wanted me to be generous, but I, <laughs> I. I it needs to stop relying on, hey, remember that? And it needs to give me something strong and likable. Because, I mean, I gave it the pass in season one. Like you say, it needs to find its footing. It's trying to kind of feel the space out and see what it what it can do. But this is second season. I should be getting something better than, than season, melodrama. Second season, and they gave you a new version of Spock and immediately said, he's a murderer, and we're chasing down Spock because he killed three people. Yeah. And it was like, what, what, what? Yeah, yeah. but hold on. If all that, everything that happened with Spock was one episode on the original series, it would make sense. Yes, as opposed to stretching it out over, yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> teasing you forever. Yeah. I mean, just imagine if the, what is it, Wolf in the Fold? If that episode were in our modern times, Scotty would be like acting weird for like nine episodes, and then we'd God, find yeah. out the whole thing. That, that that would have just been like watching a, a season of Angel, where exactly. one character suddenly went bad, and we didn't nobody nobody else knew except the audience. Right, exactly. So that's kind of what we have run into. Well, I'm going to give a B minus for season one, and I'm giving it an A minus for season two. So there oh, you wow. go. I am excited. I loved the Arium story. I think that if you watch the Star Trek shorts, and if you're not seeing the Star Trek shorts, you need to. You guys you've watch seen, them, right? You've seen but, two. We've seen two of them, right? We yeah. Saw, oh, no, we saw three of them. Three? We okay, saw... We, we saw the one with with Harry Mudd. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we saw the one... Calypso? Calypso, mm-hmm. that was the one about the, the guy being brought on board. Yep. The Discovery mm-hmm. and the ship's AI is alive and mm-hmm. yes. stuff and the crew is completely gone. Yeah. I'm and smiling was, right now. You know, yeah. that, that was honestly, I mean, for as small as, uh, as a story that was, it felt like this is a great little moment of like a start. But you could have also told that story and it could have been just a great sci-fi piece and nothing to do with Star Trek. That could have been a, okay. could have been a Twilight yeah. Zone episode. Yeah. So I got I got to interrupt you guys because okay. I'm like nerdgasming. Okay. And, Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything, and again, this is all Ken thought, mm-hmm. I think that the AI that ran the ship on Calypso is Arium. Oh, that would be, see, that yeah. would be clever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Burnham's mother is 950 years in the future. Discovery is 1,000 years in the future. And there are no people. Hmm. And I think that... Those two things are going to be fixed by Arium. 
somehow, hmm. some way. I could be wrong. And I feel you're giving her more importance than than has been demonstrated. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that kind of happened in season one of just where the stories eventually uh, ended up. Uh, but I again, exactly. making this character important all because she's a plot device. Oh no, device I'm not saying the that end she's of your going season to be is important. terrible storytelling. I'm not saying that she's important, but she's been downloaded. If Spock can come back from the dead because of the colonar and all that stuff, yeah. She literally downloaded her personage to the ship. That ship has a voice and a personality in the future. That's all too I'm saying. Too little, too late. <laughs> or you just <laughs> haven't seen it yet. Uh, too little, too late. Dear, you made I've her been, important dear, before it was... Dear, Sorry. we haven't seen since they just revealed the Red Angel. That was the last oh, episode yeah. we watched. Yeah. Right. I already got word from the work Red that the Angel. next episode after that is actually supposed to be quite quite good so so we'll find out every episode prior i don't believe you this time fine and and i also have to give it such a high mark because pike rocks and because anson mount rocks and then even though i'm a complete like heterosexual dude spock is like hot and who knew he had such a uh took us i mean he's walking around that space suit the other day and uh, the first, th- after it was over, first thing my wife said was like, yeah, but did you see Spock's butt? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm a complete <laughs> straight guy. But like, I was like jealous and it made me feel weird things. And I usually just care about Spock's ears. So anyway. Ken, Ken. I'll be yes. sure to check out his butt. You can, oh, Ken. you have to. If, if we want to hearken it back to the original series, who got the most fan mail? Yep. Spock did. He yep. was a sex symbol. Who had some of them? I mean, despite. Uh, so despite what we've somehow turned into Kirk being the super ladies, you know, ladies man or whatnot, but Spock was the one who women wanted to get as, get down with. As was Patrick Stewart. That was how it was. Mm-hmm. It was a complete reversal. He was the sex symbol. Yeah, but you know that that had to piss Kirk off. Like when Kirk and Spock, and I'm not talking about Nimoy and Shatner. I'm talking about Kirk and Spock. If they would have got to see their fan mail. Uh, Spock would have said, well, it's only logical. People want what they can't have, Captain. And he'd be like, yes, but why? You know, <laughs> but why, Spock? Why? 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 Yeah. Oh, boys. Well, we want to thank you for listening to Pop, a pop culture podcast. Once again, tell people where they can find your show and what it's named and where it can be found. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at uh, Scrappy Doo Principal. Uh, you can also find us on any, whatever your podcast uh, provider is. We are on pretty much every available spot, iTunes, Google, uh, and uh, wherever else. Spot. I think we're on Spotify. Yeah. Don't look Basically, at me. I don't run it. Just Google search Scrappy Doo Principal Podcast. You'll find us. We're easy to find. Mm-hmm. Very good. So check out the Scrappy Doo Principle, and we want to thank you for being on the show. I always leave with a recommendation of something that I'm really digging right now, and I'm going to tell you to check out AP Bio. It is on Hulu. It is in its second season right now, and I really like it. The character Heather is wonderful, and she makes me smile. So check it out. AP Bio on NBC, Thursdays, 8.30, and uh, check it out. So thank you, Mary, and thank you, Lee. Thank you for having us, Ken. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Alrighty. And we can agree to fight because we're fans. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thank you.
And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Say goodnight, Dick.